Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bamdad listeners. Um, I hope you have a great uh, Sunday. Uh, we are sitting with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. If you didn't listen to us yesterday, um, we had a guest yesterday who is a neuropsychologist, and we had several questions regarding different aspects of life when something happens whether physically or psychologically, to someone who is dear to us, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member. And um, sometimes there are so many changes that causes our life um, that to be changed. So today we want to talk about that um, as continuation of our conversation. So I hand it to Dr. Rockers because I know he always has questions and he's going to ask questions probably. So Dr. Rockers, did you have any experience regarding having someone you knew and the health issues affected you or someone you knew? So I start with questioning you now. (laughs) I am impressed with this offensive strike. You start with the question instead of letting me ask the question. I noticed oh, how the tables have turned. Huh? Whoa, <laughs> yes, you're you learned. You have learned. Well, I realized maybe you enjoy answering a question rather than questioning. <laughs> well, questioning is always safe because. You pop the question out there and then you can wait for the person yeah. to come up with something. Although if you ask the wrong questions, you may not get anything. It's sort of like fishing. So really why it. you ask questions then? Now you explain. What's that? You said it's safer when oh. you ask questions. I said, now we know why you were always asking questions. No, you know, the reason why I always ask questions, Saide, is because this is what I figured out about myself. This is a little piece of self-revelation is I realize that I'm a pretty good listener and I listen a lot and then generally try to consolidate or sift through that and then offer something back. And it's hard for me to start off just with saying something. And I know like in job interviews and things like that, when I, when I try to start off with something, it just doesn't come out as well. But if I've got material to work on, then I can sift through it and somehow make sense of it and offer different angles on it. So that's where my questions come from. That's what I know about myself. But today's topic, I think I like what you're talking about, the idea of change and change in others. I had, yeah, I actually, I do have an example of change. I was first going to say I don't. I remember my grandfather when he was older, but I don't think too much older than I am right now. I'm not real sure. He got Parkinson's disease and I did not understand that. I still don't understand a lot about Parkinson's, but he did have the shuffling and the gait problem. It's a Parkinson's, as I understand it, is a problem of initiation, movement initiation. And that can also factor into someone's speaking speech. It's hard for me if somebody cannot understand me and it's hard for me, if somebody else, if, if I can't be understood by somebody else, both of those things are really tough. And what happened for him was I remember I really liked the man a lot, 
But when he got sicker with Parkinson's and he could not talk very well, I remember not being around or not interacting with him as much. And that was really hard for me because I didn't know what to do. Today's topic is how do we deal with others when they change? When we don't understand what's going on. What do we do? I didn't handle it well. I mean, I'm not proud of that. I didn't handle it well. And I regret that. I didn't learn how to interact with him. And in my reflections, I think that he is probably, he was probably pretty lonely in that condition. So, but that's only in reflection back on that. I think the topic for today is how do we deal with others when they change? Not necessarily disabled, but a lot of times we're going to be around people who experience a decline in functioning. How do we deal with that? Because then they are not the same persons that we knew before. When I worked in a uh, functional restoration clinic, I was director of that clinic for chronic pain. And it was for people that had chronic pain and they had had it for several years. And sometimes people would come in who their spouse did not have chronic pain, but they had lived with chronic pain and weren't very functional for a long time. When the person in the program began to get better, what we noticed is the spouse was often threatened. They became fearful. Wow. Even though that person is improving. So they got, they were scared because here's person is different than how they knew them. So this program today, I think, let's talk a little bit about how do we handle when people change, when they decline in function, but also when they may improve in function. In other words, a short way of saying it is when they change, when they are different than how we knew. I, yeah, I agree. I think this is a, a great topic. I think a lot of times we think of change as being so difficult for ourselves and that the challenge to initiate change. And I think this is just as difficult sometimes, you know, the people that we know, the people that we care about when they change both in a decline as well as even in a growth. I think a lot of times one of the places where I like to start is we tend to have an idea of a person in our mind and that's whether they're struggling in some ways or they're, you know, doing really well. But this is the idea of, you know, Daniel, the idea of Saide. And so if you start to, if a person starts to deviate from that expectation or, or that kind of mental representation of another person, then I have to, I have to start thinking differently or I have to start changing. And so I find for a lot of people, when somebody that we care about changes in either way, all of a sudden it brings something to the forefront for that person. Like you said, that was a great example too. Sometimes people can feel threatened. Do you think in that setting, you know, somebody with, uh, you know, chronic pain, their partner's doing better. You think they'd be excited. You think they'd be thrilled, but I find that's very much the case, both physically and even psychologically too. If somebody starts to get better, sometimes people are threatened by that change. And sometimes it's just as simple as it's different. They don't know what to expect. They're having to adapt and adjust. They're maybe even having to change. That's, and that's part of the, that's part of what I saw they got fearful and it was anything that was coming up for them. Like a spouse could be fearful that the other would leave or that they're changing or that they wouldn't be needed because people go into roles with disabilities. If the other person has a disability, then if they're staying together, then one probably becomes more of a caretaker role. 
So then what happens is if the person doesn't really need a caretaker anymore, suddenly the spouse is left like, oh, I don't, am I not needed? Are you going to leave me? Maybe I don't matter. Their own questions of their own self-worth pop up. All of those things show up. Speaking of change too, Saide, do you want to introduce the the change that, that we're experiencing currently in our conversation? I was going to say, we are just happy that Dr. Kat Cruz just walked in to our uh, sitting and we are just so happy to have her back again because uh, she was our guest yesterday and we are so happy that Dr. Cruiser still is with us. So welcome back again, Dr. Cruiser. We are happy to have you. Thank you so much. Uh, let's adapt so, together as I'm joining the conversation. Good plan. The topic for today is change. And we're talking about both positive and negative change. And what we were just talking about there was how a spouse may get threatened when their partner begins to change. And it can be in a positive improvement way. Or the other type of change we're going to talk about is how do people handle it when someone they know, either a family member or a friend, relative, begins to decline to change in that way. And I gave the example initially of my grandfather who had Parkinson's disease and how I regret not really interacting with him as much because I was a little, I didn't know what to do. It was hard to do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to that, Dan, too. I find that's very common actually in regards to when a family member is impacted by something. And I think two levels, one, as you know, a a psychologist, people think that we know how to handle everything because we have this background. And even if you weren't a psychologist back then, you know, I think it's this idea that psychologists can handle and navigate everything. But I think it also speaks to we're more emotionally vulnerable when it comes to people that we love and care about. And so if they do, especially if it's a decline, I feel like sometimes we're, we're scared, you know, it's just, it's, we're scared, we're uncomfortable with it. We're uncertain with like, how do I provide for them? How do I interact with them, communicate with them? And so out of the, out of that change of that uncertainty associated with that change, we'll sometimes pull back. And, and sometimes it's this idea that, well, I don't want to do something wrong or I don't want to negatively impact that. I found that I found that I've reacted in that way too. I know I shared on the show, you know, I'm, I really like grief and, and, and loss. It's what's got me into the field of psychology. I sometimes feel like when I'm with family, you know, helping them talk with, you know, loss or in the grieving process, all of a sudden I get quiet and I'm just like, and I've even reflected like, what's wrong with me? Like I should be jumping in at this moment. You know, if, if there's ever a time to talk about it, it should be now. But I also realize that I'm feeling that loss and I'm feeling that grief too. So I can't just set that aside and jump in and be the therapist in the way that I maybe typically am. I'm feeling it just as much. And and sometimes I don't even know what I'm feeling. I just know that I'm behaving in a certain way. And so, like you said, in hindsight, that we can look at that and we can be like, oh man, I I wish I would have done that a little differently. But I think also it brings up that point of our identity. We know ourselves through our interactions with other people. And when those interactions change, then our identity can come into question, depending on how well-grounded we are. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree or disagree with my assertion? I completely agree. That's that's exactly what I was talking about a minute ago in regards to these, uh, those expectations we have of others also relate to that expectation we have of ourselves. 
And so when others start to change, I find very commonly where I'm saying, well, wait, do I have to change? Am I doing something different? Should I do something different? And so it just, it, it raises kind of an uncomfortable question in our mind about how we see the world, how we see others and how we see ourselves as well. Yeah, Say, you, should, should I feel this way or should I not feel this way? Mm-hmm. Okay, and side A, you really should be talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you allowed me to say something. <laughs> I will allow it for a little bit. Let's yeah. change, Daniel, and let side A talk, okay? Let's okay, change. Okay, my identity's threatened, okay. <laughs> I want to go back to the first part of conversation when you said, um, you know, change can be, whether negatively or positively, could sort of... Uh, you know, make the caregiver or someone who's close to that person um, sort of worries or scared. Um, You know, what I have a problem with is how could that positive change be worrisome? You know, that I I have a problem with that. Or maybe I never experienced that, that if someone is changing in a positive way, why should I be worried? Maybe the sense of being left behind. Yeah, sense of being left behind. Will I be enough for this person? Will I be able to satisfy them? Will they be suddenly interested in another type of person? What if they leave me? Mm. What if they don't hear me? I didn't think of that. Maybe I have a different perception. I thought, what better than that? Somebody is getting better. Well, you know, what comes up for me too is that, that attachment security and the dynamic in that connection with that person, we would like to think we would be excited Mm. and thrilled that our partner is falling into success or, you know, whatever that might look like. And we'd be right there supporting and lifting them up even more. Uh, But I do think that there are some people that might interpret that experience from a position of insecurity in their attachment. Okay. So that's an important point. What should one do? This is a question for the group, each of us. What should one do if you find yourself in that position? If you see somebody changing, let's say for the positive, like what Side Day was saying, and but you start to feel like, uh-oh, I don't know, I don't like this, it's scary. How how can we handle that? How do people handle it? How should our listeners handle it? Let's take a break. And I think that's a great question too for our listeners to think about how have they handled it? Or how have they responded? And then we can definitely come back and talk about that a little bit more too. All right. So, Shervendigan Aziki Radio Bamdad, Behamrahe, Dr. Alexandradi, Dr. Rockers, and Dr. Katrin Kruzer. Hastim, Dr. Katrin Kruzer, Mehmone Barnami, Mabudan Diros, Zayim Rusam, Koshalim Kedarhid Mashun Hastim, Ishunikas Neuropsychologist, Hoye, Shahra Sacramento Hastan. که در کالیفرنیا سایکولوژیکال اسوسییشن که یکی از بزرگترین ارگانیزیشن های تمام امریکا هستش در بوردش هستن و در دیویژن نوروسایکولوژی مشغول کار هستن و همینطور ایشون رئیس بخش کنفرانس سالانه سی پی هستن و عضو بورد Sacramento Valley Psychological Association در قسمت Behavioral Medicine and Neuropsychology um, مشغول خدمت هستن و همطور uh, 
پرایویت پرکتیس هم دارن و امروز ما خوشحالیم که ایشون مهمان برنامه ما هستن ما در قسمت اول برنامهمون قبل از اینکه دکتر کروزر بیان به ما بپیوندن داشتیم راجع به مشکلاتی که از نظر تغییرات در زندگی کسی رخ میده صحبت میکردیم برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم with Dr. Rockers, Dr. Andrade, and Dr. Cruiser. This is Dr. Saide Marikafsalia speaking. If you just turn on your radio and you're listening to us uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, we have a program in English in uh, culture and psychology, and we have created uh, over 150 podcasts, and you can follow us uh, from uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, and you can listen to our program at the time that is more suitable for you. And today's conversation so far has been a continuation of um, Dr. Cruiser's um, conversation yesterday about neuroscience and the changes that happens in some people's through uh, issues that happens through traumatical brain injury or other issues uh, such as uh, dementia, Alzheimer, or any kind of neuroscience um, issues in the brain. So today in continuation of that conversation, we're talking about how change can affect someone who is taking care of the person in their life, whether negative or positive is affecting. And um, in that regard, I think we can continue our conversation. Yeah, thinking of uh, Daniel's question, you know, what are some some healthy ways to try to adapt to the change that others are going through, uh, whether positive or negative in their life? Um, I think it starts with vulnerability, just this idea of recognizing that that feels a way that it feels maybe scary, it feels uncertain, even just acknowledging that this is different. And I think it's tough for a lot of people because that change isn't always uh, immediate. It tends to be kind of gradual. And so those feelings kind of start to uh, grow over time. And then as they grow, all of a sudden it becomes more present 
I think for both people. And so to be able to have an open dialogue with one's partner, one family member requires a level of openness, a level of vulnerability of just saying that this feels different. I think a lot of times people focus on the answer, like you have to do this or, or we're supposed to know how to you know, resolve this or fully address it. I find it sometimes starts with just asking the questions of how do we maybe you know, navigate this? How do we adapt to this change that is happening? And by having that exchange and that dialogue, you, you, you figure it out together. I find the person who is changing may not have the answer, just like the person who is witnessing the change may not have the answer. So that's where I think a good starting point is for managing and navigating those changes that people that we care about are going through. What about you, uh, Kat? What do, what, what do you think in regards to how we change in that way or how we adapt to that change? Of yes. Others? Yeah, we were, we were just talking about what to do if, um, if that change is positive. Uh, and we were, in my mind, we were talking about our intimate partner, um, but you're making me reflect on what to do when changes are happening in other family members. And for me, the reason why I'm bringing up this distinction is when we think about the assumptions that we make about our feelings towards our intimate partner, one would think that we would want to be closer with that person, that we would want to have a healthier, more connected relationship with that person. But some other family members, it's not necessarily the case. Like there's certain family members in my family where if I'm experiencing tension in that relationship or maybe some of those negative feelings that we were kind of alluding to before, that I may not really want to work on fixing those feelings in this moment. With other family members, I would. I might even feel anxious and want to dive into a conversation and practice my good conversation skills to try to work on what might be happening if there's tension in that relationship. So I wanted to first kind of normalize that just because there is a member in a family system, it may not mean in this moment that I would want to become closer with that person or fix a negative emotion that I'm experiencing inside of that dynamic. I think we're really, for me, I'm really fluid and very different and variable in how I feel motivated to express my grief, to feel vulnerable, uh, like you were mentioning with, with certain kind of family members. Um, so if I reflect on that first, I think that will inform kind of how I move forward and expressing some of my feelings, especially vulnerable feelings. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Reflecting on that relationship in order to start to kind of direct yourself in regards to how do I have this interaction, this conversation, or yeah, does something need to change? What about you side uh, in regards to Daniel's was, question? Yeah. I was just uh, thinking of, you know, while you guys were conversing, I was thinking of all these experiences I have uh, witnessed or I was part of it. And one of the things I noticed, if a family member actually that Alex, you brought up, if that change happens to that family member, all of a sudden, the relationship of the family maybe um, changes, you know, because first of all, um, you know, thinking of who is the main person to take care of this person? Do, are you going to divide the time? Are you going to fight over, oh, I did more and you did less or whatever? I mean, you face with that if it's something to do with the family member that, um, you know, you're, you get involved. And the other thing I was going to say 
back to what you guys were talking. And all of a sudden, I remember a couple that the, um, uh, the man actually had heart attack and had to deal with that for a long time to get really well. But as soon as he got well, he left the family. He just said, I want to have a different lifestyle now. My whole perspective of life has changed. And also, I know a good friend of mine who had her second child. And then after the second child was born, the husband left and said, I, I just feel like, you know, I'm not needed here anymore. You know, so that was actually a shocking point that people go through. And then he ended up taking care of a disabled woman. And he said, I feel more wanted here than living in a life that all your attention is to the kids. I mean, people do stuff that all of a sudden you wonder what is going on in their mind, you know, uh, are they afraid? And because they want to do something ahead of the other person's decisions that they leave, what is going on in people's mind? And that happens. I've, I've uh, seen it. I have, um, you know, it, it's actually happened to a couple of people I knew. Okay, I changed my answer. Uh, don't, don't change. Tell the person to go back. No, just kidding. No, but, but you bring up a great point though, Side A. We don't know what's going to happen from, like I said, you know, even acknowledging and being vulnerable and trying to talk about it. We don't know where it's going to, where it's going to, you know, go to. And, and I think it's the reality is, is it is scary that that change can lead to a whole different life in that way. And it can lead to that person leaving us or, you know, something being different than it was before. So there's that risk. But I, I, to me, for me, it goes to this idea of, you know, are we living an authentic life if we're just trying to ignore the changes that are happening and just trying to stay in that same way, especially if people aren't happy, if people aren't, you know, feeling fulfilled. And so, yeah, it may not be the, the, the path that we originally anticipated, but change is going to uh, kind of disrupt some things, both positively and maybe even negatively in that way. Yeah, you may all of a sudden think, you know, I have this much of my life to live. After a traumatic situation that happens, you may just all of a sudden wake up and say, do I want to be in this situation? And then you are shaken up and you might say, I don't want to live differently. I want to be a different person from now on. I don't want to put myself into this situation. And that we have seen, um, you know, in our experiences. Well, Daniel, we all answered and probably got it all wrong. So we definitely need to hear from you in regards to what is the correct way to handle change when somebody else is uh, changing. Thank you for finally coming back to me because there is a right answer and there are many wrong answers to my question. Just as we demonstrate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to give you guys grades on each of your that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'll just say some are A minuses and some are Bs, whatever. No, I, it's, there are many answers to that. And I don't think there's any right and wrong answers. Of course, I'm kidding about right and wrong answers. I, for myself, when I look back, I think that it would probably incorporate a lot of the things you guys said. I think that it involves checking what's going on inside. For myself, being young at the time, it would have been nice if I 
could have opened up to somebody and somebody could have helped coach me through that to look at my own feelings, which brings up the other point, which is I wish I could have asked someone about what do I do? Well, how do you do this? And not that anybody would have known. I'm not sure anybody else knew about Parkinson's more than I did at that point. Not because I was so smart, just because we didn't know. We didn't know about that. This was a whole new condition. So I think I wish I would have asked about it. I wish I would have checked in to see and to hang in there. Probably an important point. This is reflective of what you said, Alex, is to think about, well, where will it go? Where can it go? In that instance, it eventually led to his death. And so because of that, then that could have spurred some other things. It's like, well, you probably want to get some meaningful interactions in as best you can now, because pretty soon he will be gone. And then there's that. And that was good 40, 40 some years ago. And I know treatments have changed, so it's not necessarily such a sudden. day, what were you going to say? I was going to say, then when you started um coming to this field of psychology and learning a bit more about Parkinson, did you, did that take you back to what you knew about your grandfather? Were you thinking about that? I, when we studied Parkinson's, I definitely thought about him. You know, I think what I think was more impactful for me was when I, in my First year, second year of graduate school. Yeah, it was my second year of graduate school in the fall. A big shocker for me. And it really threw me off balance. But the way that I got back on balance was to spend some time. I remember spending a weekend with my brother, my older brother, who had type 1 diabetes for some time. And then I began to see oh, you can live a pretty normal life. You can pretty much do the same things as long as you take care of how you are. But before I had done that, after I got the diagnosis and before I had talked to my brother, my mind was going in all these crazy places for the worst, how much bad and how much worse it was all going to be. So I think getting somebody to help coach so. Well, just, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's so, again, I, I just go back to it's so difficult sometimes when we're trying to see that for ourselves in our own lives. And so I think a big, another big piece of that vulnerability is just that compassion and that patience for ourselves that it's, you know, it's hard to change our personal narrative or our life story. We, we see the world in a certain way. We envision things are going to be a certain way. So to talk about that change that's happening, as Kat kind of uh, alluded to, <clears> there, it, it, it's the, the worry, the fear, like it's all going to crumble, it's all going to fall apart. Probably some of those things <clears throat> I day shared that it's going to lead to the worst case scenario. But we don't always know that that worst case scenario one is going to come to fruition, or that that scenario that we didn't uh, envision actually can maybe lead us to, to greater happiness. I always say it's hard in the moment to know whether our path is really taking us where we want to go. It's only sometimes in hindsight that we're able to say, yes, maybe I wish I would have done this a little differently, or yes, it, I end up you know, making the right decision or that turned out correctly. So that compassion for ourselves and that patience with we're still figuring out, we're still walking the path. I think it's something that's really important to recognize with change. And I, th I think it's also important to keep in mind that you know, is my path taking me in the right 
place or how you said that, almost never do our plans or our goals turn out exactly how we plan. But it's important to plan because there is a tendency to move in that direction. Plus, planning motivates us as well. So I think that's good. Time for a break. Saide, can you? Uh, sure. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We are happy to have Dr. Kruser as a guest with us. And um, we are, I'm going to say some words in Farsi. Shanavandigan Aziz Radio Bamdad. امروز ما در خدمتون هستیم طبق معمول شنبه ها و یک شنبه ها با دکتر کروسر، دکتر راکرز و دکتر انرادی در مورد تغییراتی که در زندگیون اتفاق میفته و این تغییرات میتونه به خاطر تغییراتی باشه که یه شخصی که با ما زندگی میکنه برای ما به وجود آورده باشه همیشه بیماری هست، اتفاقات هست و ما از کسانی که باشون نزدیک هستیم چه پارتنرمون باشه چه یکی از اعضای خانوادهمون باشه سهمی در این تغییرات داریم یا باید ازشون نگهداری بکنیم یا به هر حال این تغییرات فیزیکی یا خدایی نکرده اشکالات مهمتری که در اثر صدمات مغزی به وجود میاد ما باید در کنارشون باشیم ما داریم امروز راجع به این تغییرات و تغییراتی که باعث میشه برای ما به وجود بیاد صحبت میکنیم برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم with Dr. Alexandrade, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and our guest today, Dr. Catherine Kruser, a neuropsychologist uh, and a forensic, actually, and neuropsychologist. And the first two parts of our conversation, if you just turn on the radio and you're hearing us speaking in English on Saturdays and Sundays at 12 to 1 o'clock, we have a program in English language. And if there are people that you know that they can... Um, benefit from our conversation. I want to encourage you to let them know that we have this program on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, in the first two parts of our conversation, we were talking about life brings changes sometimes to ourselves and to our partners. And these changes affects us personally or affects a family group that we are living with or we are associated with. How do we deal with that? And there are always surprises that we have experiences or we face. And uh, we continue the um, conversation. I believe we had uh, Dr. Cruz on the show today because she's never struggled with change ever in her life. And so <laughs> she is a living model of what we should all be. Is, is that correct? <laughs> I would not say so, no. <laughs> Adapting to changes, um, grit. And I look for that in patients. I try to practice that myself. 
um, I think it's part of what really flavors uh, the strengths that we have and part of the wisdom that I seek in my elders. How did you adapt to this? How do you overcome this um, uh, all the time? I love the idea of grit too. Can you say more about that? I always, I always love different people's kind of perceptions of, of grit. Yes. Um, the way I think about it is a resiliency through challenges uh, where I would have to kind of strain or stretch my existing abilities to adapt to some situation beyond uh, some kind of small or normal amount. So something that feels really challenging, but then experiencing success through the change or through the challenge uh, where it was not easy to adapt uh, through a situation um, is it's kind of what I think about when I think about grit, uh, a sense of persistence, a sense of willingness to continue, even when it is challenging and I may not emotionally want to. Yeah. I was thinking of that little bit of like resistance and pushback and like that being kind of both the situation, but then us too. It's like, I, I got that grit. I'm going to push back too in that situation. I always think of Daniel too. when I think of grit, that guy's got some grit. That's what I was saying too. I mean, like sand in the mouth type of grit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna stop with the where I left it. You're not I'll let you assume. With that, <laughs> I'm not gonna confirm nor deny that question. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I like to think I have some grit and some determination, and I will keep going through lots of circumstances. I think so, Daniel. I've known you for a while. Um, I know a little bit about things that you've practiced in your career, types of patients you've worked with. I've seen you in leadership uh, positions, uh, including past president of the California Psych Association, which was mentioned earlier, I'm currently inside of one of the boards. And through witnessing you in all kinds of different professional settings, I can say, yeah, you do have grit. And watching you really as a model, even for me, um, for practicing, not just as a psychologist, going to your office in session, reflecting on the deep, meaningful work that you do with patients, but also outside of that work, pushing, pushing the boundaries of what it even means to, to do what you do um, in the context of everything that's complex about your life. Oh, that's very kind of you. We can't do too much um, congratulating here. Alex will. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Kat, you're new to the show. We really don't do that for Daniel here. We don't do that. Okay, I'm nah, done. Yeah, he. I, I knew that was on the way. Yeah, we do it off the air very briefly, very subtly. Uh, yeah, so it, you've been warned once. Okay. Uh, you know, just yeah. Wow, it, what's what's the what's with the resistance to <laughs> celebrate Daniel? The change again. We are we are a group that, that, that struggles <laughs> with change. Yeah. Okay. No, just kidding. Just okay. kidding. Okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Trying to change. Today, you've got something to say here. I don't know what to say after all that. <laughs> well, one thing that I was reflecting on, uh, if I can, is earlier in our discussions, what kept coming up for me is how do we feel safe to express our personal or emotional needs? And I think culturally, some of us feel more able and capable and safe to do that than others. I started connecting with my identity as a female, uh, being young, and there are certain settings where I really feel very encouraged to express. I mean, even being invited here to share and reflect some ideas, um, but in other settings, I feel quite quieted down just as a consequence of the social environment. Uh, and we were talking a bit about 
really our needs not being met through those changes. And how do we express those needs in the first place so that they can be met so we can get like satisfaction in life? You mean like your own changes or seeing other people change? Yes, seeing other people change. Like if my need in a relationship is caregiver and the example you brought up where the husband didn't feel like air quotes needed, but then in the other setting, there were experiencing another person being dependent on them and somehow some way, maybe Saide, that was your story, uh, that that somehow met some interpersonal need for that person. Um, how do we just express that, you know, before that divorce or before that separation happens? Um, how aware are we, you know, that maybe the needs are being expressed differently or being met in different ways? And how can we pay attention to that? Absolutely, because I'm sure there was a lot going on, you know, that that person didn't bring it up and all of a sudden was fed up and left. So that's a very good point. How many times one of the people in the partnership, they just put up with something rather than having a conversation. And actually, in one of the talks I had um, with Radio Bamdad. I was talking specifically about this, that how many times in relationship things are not going the right way and we let our glass be full and then there's nothing more you can do about it rather than from the beginning, if they have a good conversation, maybe we can resolve it. But you see that in many relationships, you ended up with, breaking just because you didn't converse and you didn't bring up your feelings. I always think, how do we say it too, in a way that the person can hear? And if we're hurt, we're probably not going to say it in a way that feels soft, you know, accessible to them. It's it's probably going to be hidden underneath that hurt. And so it's going to be maybe a defensive statement or a reactionary statement. So I think that's a big piece of it too. It's like, you know, thinking of how that person can hear it. And like I said earlier too, the idea that it's kind of gradual, it's probably not just one day, everything was different. It's probably, it's been building in some ways. But Alex, say more about, are you saying that our underneath feelings will probably leak out when we go to speak up? Well, I think there's a way we can say it that the person can hear. So I can say, Daniel, I don't like that you did that, you know, versus saying, I felt really hurt by what you did. I, I don't know. I, I, I know you care about me. So I know you probably didn't mean to do that, but that felt away from me versus me saying, I don't like what you did. You were a jerk. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to think, Oh, can I be different, Alex? If I call you a jerk, you're going to be like, well, you're a jerk, you know? And so uh, again, being able to take a step back, how can I, approach the person in a way where they can hear so it doesn't feel like it just adds that conflict or that tension. Yeah, I think there's some communication structures that we can learn. If we have those, we can lean on those and that helps us introduce things in such a way. In psychology, a lot of times we're saying, yes, you want to focus on your feelings and give I statements and things like that. And I think that's very good and very important, but I would recommend even a step further there are communication, just structures by which you do it. And it's not just sandwich structure, you know, mm. what is <laughs> good, bad, good thing. But how I mean, many of us really um, have the 
expertise or knowledge or understanding of a good communication to be able to do that in our daily life? And how was our upbringing? How many times in our childhood we have seen our parents doing that? Or, I mean, it all affects our way of looking at things and of um, the way we communicate. It is important to really go back to our own childhood and say, what did I learn? Was it the way that my parents were communicating? Was it the way the cultural piece in our family was this way? And that's why I'm, I'm really reactive. I'm doing this. I don't see that happening in people that they're not really looking into learning, looking into making their communication and their life better. So we want to leave our listeners with some sort of um, a list of things they can do. And there's never late for changing. If you never communicated in a different ways that we are talking about today, um, it's always a good starting point at whatever age or wherever in your relationship is to start thinking about, okay, maybe you didn't learn to communicate um, this way, or maybe your parents didn't teach you when you were a child, but what can I do at this point that I want to be a better communicator? I want to build a good relationship with my partner. Where do I start? You can start from here. You can really do something about it by being thoughtful when you want to bring an issue that is bothering you rather than jumping in, um, putting the other person down or using bad language. You can always talk about your feelings. You start from you. And I'm sure that communication is going to go the right way when you start from your feelings. I always like to give the example to people, you know, there's the uh, traditional idea that, oh, when my parents argued, they went to the other room or they went to the car and played the music loud. So, you know, they, the kids wouldn't hear them fight. But I think, and I always like to point out too, they never show you how they resolve the fight either. So you have to maybe learn without that guidance through a trial and error process. And that's why I go back to, as I said earlier, that idea of just even saying, you know, I don't know how to do this and let's try to do something different and let's be open and vulnerable and say, this is what I seen growing up. This is how I typically maybe start to respond to things, or this is what you said I, I, I do sometimes. And I'm wanting to understand that and see that and maybe try something different. Uh, and even you know us being able to say to each other, like, how do we want to try to do something different so we can build those new norms and those new healthy habits of, you know, addressing issues, communicating, ultimately adapting to change too. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, Alex, I really like what you just said about almost announcing, let's try to have this conversation differently and then try to, you know, maybe engage in some different patterns. Uh, Cause we can be locked in these habits, these communication habits. And a lot of our patients that go to therapy are starting to learn some new tools and then they come back into their family system and the family system is used to certain communication habits. But then there's this one member who's kind of working against some of those habits and the family may not understand and work against that to come back, come back into that sameness of rhythm. And so announcing, Hey, you know, I, 
I'd like to try to have this conversation go a little bit differently. Can at least kind of alert uh, the other members of the conversation, kind of like giving them consent. Let's do this differently rather than the old way we've been doing it, which is not working for me. Um, I think it's a really helpful tool. And I totally agree. I find that's the case a lot of times uh, when people come to therapy. I, I almost build that into probably like the third, fourth session. Like, hey, just so you know, this may be something you encounter from family, from friends, especially from, from intimate partners. These healthy changes that you're making, people are going to kind of struggle with them, not because they don't want you to succeed, not because they don't want you to be better. It's different. It's different. It's change. And it maybe elicits some things in them. So, so again, giving them that, those tools to start to be able to acknowledge it, let alone maybe even uh, talking about it. And similarly, I'll even encourage a person to bring, you know, their partner in or, you know, a family member in, if it feels like that change is really threatening to the dynamic too. So I think I cut you off a minute ago. Sorry. No, 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 that's okay. I guess we got to the end of our program. um, And um, with that, We would like each of us, uh, as usual, we say a statement and we end our program. So we want to start with anyone who's ready to um, say some statement at the end. I think, don't you want to point to Daniel or no, no, (laughs) I think Kat Kat wants to go. Okay. Kat, you're going to go first. That's great. Yeah. You know, I just, one, sometimes I try to think about mantras that really help me through the day. And one that's helpful to me is you can always start over today. Right now. I can start today right now. It doesn't have to ha- you know, have been the morning. Maybe, you know, gosh, traffic is just awful this morning or, you know, whatever it might be. And just say, you know what, I'm going to start over today right now. I like that. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. I'll jump in next. I would suggest rule number seven, which is if you want to be heard, first listen. Very good. I want to know the first six now. You've created some (laughs) intrigue here. Check him out. He's got, he's, uh, I guess that's a future show. We're going to get to hear the other six in the uh, six plus three, nine. There we go. Structure this conversation differently. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, the part that I like to leave with listeners is just that compassion, compassion for oneself, compassion for one's partner. Change is hard. Change is hard, whether we want to go through it or not, <clears throat> just giving ourselves some compassion for trying to adapt to this change, trying to understand what that change is going to bring. We don't have to know where it's going to lead us to. So be just kind, compassionate to ourselves, to our partner, um, just that we're, we're people, we're going through it. And I wanna, How about you? Yeah. Uh, I want to say, just be true to yourself and to your feelings. Don't hide it. Don't, uh, don't um, wait to share how you feel. And even if you have um, little children at home that they come and they ask you, oh, I heard you were angry. Don't say no, because the kids are going to be confused. Just talk about your feeling. You may just say, yes, I was angry. I said something and uh, I'm working on it, you know. So we want to learn from our um, behavior ourselves and we want to teach it to our children. So just be true to yourself. Be true to your feelings, your um, self, and um, just don't let things uh, accumulate and get to a point that you can deal with it anymore. 
And with that, I, as usual, I always thank my colleagues, Dr. Andrade and Dr. Brockers, and especially our special guest today, Dr. Catherine Cruiser. And once again, if you have any questions from any of us, I always ask, please contact RadioBombDot or email us. Um, and also, if you have any questions from Dr. Cruiser, we'll be happy to have her back with our program and we can answer your questions. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead and we come back next week to continue our conversation in culture and psychology. Have a wonderful week.
اگر تو روزی راز این بازی بدانی نکته رمزش بخانی لحظه های زندگی چون موج دریاست گرچه سرد و سخت زیباست موج این دریا گرد پس سر هر نوشتت سر گذاشتم در فراز قلعه باور سفر کن بال خود را با سر کن همچه حافظ پای کوبان و غزل خان لشکر قم را به بر فلک سخی نمانده این زمانه هر بزن تا بیکرانه سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این با کمی بهتر نوشت شگیرا غرق در باور نمیشد و سهارا به سیری از کجا این باور آمد که گر رود سر بر نگردد سر رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا